Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick, and now it gives me great pleasure to introduce our first guest for this week's program, Trevor Cobbold, who's the National Convener for Save Our Schools, Save Our Schools being a public school advocacy group. Our topic is protecting public education. Uh, firstly, though, welcome to Trevor. Trevor Cobbold, welcome to Viewpoints. Thank you, Henry. Trevor, you've uh, you've got an interesting career CV. I noticed that uh, looking up on uh, the information that you've also been an economist with the Australian government. I won't hold that against you, as well as national convener of Save Our Schools. Would you tell us a bit about your career highlights and your career and how you came to be involved with oh, well, SOS? <laughs> well, it's a, I guess it's a yeah, it's a long history. I've I was trained as an economist and I worked as an economist for the Australian government for 30 years uh, until I retired a few years ago, so that gives you an indication mm. of my age. Um, but during that time, I, we have had two children who went through the government school system in Canberra and uh, right from when they started school, I was involved in the PNC movement Yep. and as a result of that spent... Uh, nearly 20 years on the ACT Council of PNC Associations, including 12 or 13 years as the, volunt- the, the honorary secretary. So I've had uh, quite a long experience in, in public education issues, mm. um, including representing the ACT at the nas- in, the, in the national parent movement as well. Now, Save Our Schools, SOS is an interesting acronym. Um... Tell us a bit about that organisation, because you're the national convener. Well, Save Our Schools originated in a, during a uh, campaign back in 2006 when the ACT government tried to close 39 schools in Canberra. And uh, this organisation was set up by, oh, I guess, parents who'd had a long-standing movement, uh, involvement in the PNC movement and uh, it basically existed as an organisation to put the case against school closures. You came a bit late for Victoria. We had Kenneth yes. <laughs> in the 90s. That's right. <laughs> um, and so that, that involved a, a very intensive campaign over six months that still had repercussions or even up to this year. And so the school closure issue was the, really the foundation mm. stone of Save Our Schools. But we... Because we had such good involvement from people from various schools, when the, when the importance of that issue declined, we saw that there was a role for an organisation that didn't necessarily represent anyone, but that could contribute to debate, arguments and information relating to issues in public education. And so we've set ourselves up, as, a, as, as, you, as you said, a public education advocacy group and our really main mission is to improve equity in education, that the, the people involved have a strong commitment to equity in education, and that has governed, largely governs how we approach different issues. Mm. It's an interesting starting point, Trevor, and one of the things that we will talk about is your call for an inquiry into bias against government schools on my school, which is a very hot potato issue at the moment. But... Um, 
a lot of governments have uh, touted the concept of choice, and Australia has quite a uniquely robust private school system compared to other OECD countries. Uh, to the people who say that we've got a great dual system and we're giving people choice, what, what do you as the rep of SOS say? Well... As you say, it, it, is a, it is a very unique system mm. in terms of the size of the public sector and, and, and a, 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 sorry, the private sector and a private sector that's highly subsidised by government. But what the effect of this is, is that the, the people who are able to make that choice are the ones who can afford to pay fees. Mm. And the effect, I mean, what we see is the effect of that of that choice system is to increasingly segregate, socially segregate, increase social segregation between our schools. And it's really ironic because, you know, one of the historical reasons for establishing a public education system was the the social intolerance and lack of understanding between different religious groups back in the 19th century. Mm. Uh, And yet now we're going that route where people want to increasingly segregate themselves from from different other different social groups, um, most particularly between uh, high income families and low income families, but also on other other grounds. And uh, I think that foreshadows a, a major danger to the future of our society when people actually don't grow up together, and you you can develop easily develop lack of understanding about the perspectives of other social groups and lack of tolerance about the, 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 the culture of other groups. Mm. And, uh, and that, I think, is a danger to our democracy and our ability to live and work together. Because when you get into the, the workforce, you have to mix with all kinds of different people. And if, if you don't have any actually background in, in growing up with those people, we're creating problems for the future. Mm, it's interesting. I know when I go to countries overseas, Trevor, uh, when I use the word uniquely, I was being neutral in the language I use. They're usually quite amazed and stunned and surprised that we have such a robustly publicly funded, semi-publicly funded private school system. They they don't uh, they don't think of moving down our path at all. No, no. Now, the the call for an inquiry into bias against government schools on the MySchool website, which has been in the news for the last week, uh, obviously that's uh, not not unrelated to what we've just been talking about, uh, the dual system we've got in the in our education system. No, no certainly not. I mean, I, I mean, I don't say MySchool was designed to do this, but certainly when you look at it objectively, the way it's it's measuring like schools. The, the outcome is going to be systematic bias against government schools when you're looking at comparing school results. Why is that? Well, it is a little complicated, but it basically arises because the measure that my school uses to measure the socioeconomic status of schools, and that's the basis on which mm. life school comparisons are done, and if, if, if you like, I'll use the term sure. income rather than keep using socioeconomic yes. status. It, it measures income or the socioeconomic status of a school based on the area in which a school students come from. And it basically 
looks at the average income of an area where students come from, it doesn't actually assess the school, the status of the school on the basis of each student's family. And this, this, this creates a problem because each area, as you realise, will have both high and low income families. And the high income families tend to go to private schools. In fact, it's about double the rate of low income families. And the result of this leakage into the private system is that private, the, the socioeconomic status measure of private schools is underestimated because my school takes the average income of each area, not that of the individual families. Mm. And the area, average, the average income of the area is always going to be less than that of the high-income high families. On the other hand... The my school measure of the status of government schools is overestimated because it's based on that on that area average that includes the high income families that do not go to government schools. Mm. So what you have is that the socioeconomic status of private schools has been underestimated by my, the my school measure, and the government school socioeconomic status has been overestimated, and the result is. You don't compare like with like. Low-income low government school results are being compared with the higher-income private school results. And this results in private schools being systematically shown to be in a more favourable light. I mean, there'll be individual differences, but I'm sure. just talking about the average trend. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a systematic bias that favours private schools in comparing their results with so-called like like government schools. And now, this is this is a major problem. This but, is it, it's it's just a travesty of a system. And for the ordinary person who just looks up the tabloid papers and sees those tables, uh, that sort of information would be just not on their radar. No, no. I mean, if, if it, I mean, and we're just talking about the life school things, and most, I, I suspect most people don't even look at those. That I mean, the evidence from the newspaper reports since my school was put up is people just go to the raw results and start changing school on the basis of raw results that don't take account of the socioeconomic composition of schools, the ethnic subgroups, the composition of schools, or the proportion of students with disabilities. That They just ignore the influence of composition, student composition factors on school results. And, mm-hmm. and in this regard... Uh, parents who rely on this kind of material to choose a school could be entirely misled. And I guess the other, if you let me go on, the other, the other interesting thing is that the between school variation in student achievement is really minor, really small, about 10%, compared to the variation of student achievement within schools, which is very big. Mm-hmm. So that means if you choose a school on the basis of, you know, it's got slightly higher average results than another, you've got no guarantee you'll be in a better class in the higher performing school than you are in the lower performing school because the variation between classes is so big in both, in both cases.
Uh, we're looking at the My Schools issue, Trevor, and you've looked at the ICSIA, which is the, method, the, the, the methodology that uh, is used to uh, put schools into like school categories for comparative uh, issues, and you've, uh, you've sort of torn some holes in that. Is there anything else wrong with the My School concept? Well, um, <laughs> I'm sure you think there are. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a little bit stunned, actually. The well, the basic, there are two, well, three basic problems with what my school does, and we've talked a bit about one of them. One of them is how misleading those results are yep. for parents making choice of school. Uh, but, and before I go on, the other thing that they're misleading for is if policymakers make decisions on the basis of these results, they're going to be misled as well. And that's, <laughs> that's probably just as significant. Mm. But apart from that, the the other major problem with them, as 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 you would well know, is that they have important implications. They actually harm education because there is well established research from the use of league tables mm. and the publication of school results from around the world that it leads to a narrowing of the curriculum. That because people place such weight in school reputations and how they rank with other schools on the basis of literacy and numeracy scores. Schools are forced into the situation where they have to devote more resources to protecting their position or improving their position, and that's to the cost of other areas of the curriculum. And what suffers is that science, history, social studies, arts and music, physical education, health, they all get less time because mm. of the need to focus more and more on literacy and numeracy. That's and, that, sorry, Trevor, that's already been shown. Um, I think earlier this week there was a newspaper article where one of the Victorian regions, country regions, Loddon Campaspe, I think uh, the director was instructing or calling on the schools to, um, to teach to the tests for NAPLAN for the forthcoming round of uh, exams. Yep, this is exactly what, what, what I think everyone who knows anything about this has predicted. Mm. And, uh, and the result is going to be a less rounded education for everyone. In fact, last year you probably remember that the, there was a high-level review of education in England conducted by, conducted mm. by academics at Cambridge University. And basically they found that uh, as a result of league tables over the last 20 years in England, that England now had a deficient education, that it was too narrow and, and had, wasn't delivering the kind of broad education that we as parents and, and you and your colleague as teachers would aim for and, 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 and want. On, on another note with that, Trevor, what's the research show in terms of actually producing school improvement over significant school improvement over lengthy periods of time with this approach? Well, the evidence is that it doesn't work. <laughs> That's you know, quite amazing, really, isn't it? Julia Gillard keeps saying that we're going to improve competition, creating competition between schools over their rankings on league tables or scores on literacy and numeracy will lead to better outcomes for everyone. Well, there's no... Well, I should be very careful here. There's very little evidence to support that claim. And even...
even the head of the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority, Peter Hill, has admitted in public that there's little evidence to support his minister's claim. And and, and while there, there are only a few studies around the world that have, been, have actually looked at the, mm. the impact of reporting school results on student achievement, and virtually all of them find it has no effect. I mean, I, there's, a, there's a, uh, a well-known American academic called Professor Eric Hanyashek, yep. who's, a, who's a, a, an academic who's generally in favour of creating competition as a way of improving results. But a major study that's often cited uh, around the world, a major study that he did on, on, on accountability, on, on accountability measures for schools, found that reporting school results alone has absolutely no impact on student achievement. So this is a pretty stunning outcome. Mm. Uh- we hear that Julia Gillard has been particularly influenced by Joel Klein, the New York uh, self-styled guru of educational reform. Uh, but but there's a lot of controversy in the States over whether his methods are working. I, I don't think there's a controversy. I think it's pretty, <laughs> I think it's pretty well established they're not. And, uh, I mean, Joel Klein keeps using state-based results to demonstrate that... Uh, there has been improvement in New York City. Mm. But when you look at the only objective way of assessing what happens in the United States, and this is the national tests that are done every couple of years, there has been absolutely no improvement in student achievement in New York City. So much so that uh, a, uh, a famous uh, former Assistant Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan has recently said, as, la- as recently as last year, said the scores in New York show one direction only. They're flat, flat, flat. Mm. And this is, I mean, this is an admission by someone who's in favour of, of uh, publishing school results. Now, you've worked with government for many, many years, and certainly the Labor parties have enjoyed probably closer ties with the teacher teaching profession than the conservative uh, parties over the years. How do you rationalise what a Labor, federal Labor government is actually doing in this, Trevor? Well, I, I can't. Um, I think it's it's contrary to you know, the support that Labor, Labor parties and Labor governments in the past have given to public education. And I think it signals a major change of direction in the Labor Party philosophy. And and, and Julia Gillard and the Prime Minister really have made this very clear. Mm. They no longer see any distinction between public schools and private schools. They do not see that there's any special role for public schools in our society. And from now on, they're going to treat them as, as, as virtually indistinguishable. And I'd have to say... This is just a step on from what David Kemp and John Howard mm. wanted all along. This is the philosophy that David Kemp pursued as Federal Minister for Education, and it is the philosophy that Julia Gillard is now continuing. 
Trevor, time's got away from us. It'd, uh, it'd be lovely to have you back on the program. There's so many things that I'd, I'd like to discuss with you, and maybe next time we can have a look at uh, what would be better ways of uh, improving student learning and school performance, uh, which we, we're all on about improvement. That's just one topic. But for people who want to get in touch with Save Our Schools and the work you're doing, how would they do that? Oh, you just go to the Save Our Schools website, which, which is www saveourschools as one word dot com dot au and there's a facility to mm. to put an email through to and I always say to people Google such a great search engine just Google in save our schools and, and you'll get there pretty quickly too yes. won't you yes you will excellent Trevor can I thank you so much uh, as a person who's had a long career in public education uh, I've said this to you private it's great to have people like you um, coming out there with evidence-based research and quality qualitative argument to uh, to support uh, reform in education that's actually uh, genuinely supporting uh, our, our government schools thank you Henry